Good morning, church. It is good to be together. Uh, and it's good to see some of our uh, college students that are back from, uh, for spring break. And uh, I know there are other guests that are here. We're glad to have you with us. I want to recap this morning, if you haven't been here through this series, a little bit of what we've been talking about. The title of this series is Worship Wars, which brings up and stirs probably a conversation that uh, really isn't what this is about. It's not about the wars that we have about what we do in corporate worship together. This is a series about the war that goes on in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, for our worship. A series about idolatry, which on first hearing sounds a little bit archaic, right? I mean, that's something they used to do long ago with statues and Asherah poles and so forth. But no, what we've discovered in this series is that we're still involved with idolatry. It just looks different than what it used to. And for us, we're not tempted to worship the bad things that go on in our world. It's the best things, the good things that we give ultimate place, that we're trying to restore back to the way it should be, which means that God is on the throne and that everything he's created is to be enjoyed underneath and in proper order. Over the last four weeks, we've talked about four specific idols that I I see a a real issue with, I think, in our culture. The first we talked about was family relationships. And I got a lot of feedback about that message about, yeah, I do see how I put my kids in a place that sometimes isn't the best place. They don't need to be elevated to the top place that's too great a burden for any child to bear. Same thing can happen with our spouses. We, we elevate them to a place and they end up disappointing us. The same is true for idols of pleasure that we sometimes expect for things that God puts in our path that are meant to give us pleasure to, to take too big a role in our lives and to fill us in ways that they really can't. We also talked about greed and materialism. And last week we talked about tribalism and nationalism, the groups that we sometimes elevate to too high of a place. And so I hope over these last four weeks, you've got a sense for what your particular struggle or idol may be. There are plenty more that I could get into, but those are the four that I chose. And, and if you haven't yet discovered what that idol is in your life this morning, I want to give one more chance for you to kind of settle in, kind of assess and, and take inventory of your life with a few questions that I think are, are good questions to try to figure out what is it that may be that place that I've given too much of my uh, self-worth and identity in. So let me just kind of list some questions. If you want to close your eyes and just kind of think through these, I want to just leave these as a a place to to do inventory this morning to kind of check in with God and make sure that he is in that place. So here's one of those questions is, what is it it that you worry about the most? That can be something that can be an idol. What if you failed or if you lost it would cause you to feel as if you didn't even want to live anymore? What do you use to comfort yourself when things get bad or get difficult? Or here's a different question. What do you daydream about? What takes your thoughts for most of the day? Or what nightmares do you have? What is it that God reveals sometimes through dreams that are taking up too much space? Of what are you the proudest in your life? Or for what do you want to be known Another way to think about this is if you were starting a conversation with someone who's, who's a new person to you, what's the first thing you would want them to know about yourself that you try to work into conversation to identify who you are? Uh, or here's a hard one. What unanswered prayer would seriously make you think about turning away from God if God didn't come through as you wanted him to? Or uh, I've mentioned this one before, the final one. What? What causes you to be uncontrollably angry? Where does your anxiety and blood pressure rise when the conversation or topic comes up? These are just some questions that I've been kind of 
living with myself and I want to leave with you that may help you identify what those places of idolatry may be on your life. And it's vital that we understand what those are so that we can begin to address them. And and this morning I want to begin that process. I I hope you kind of know what that idol may be. I've got good news and bad news if you've identified your idol. The good news is you've done great work. You figured out a place that you need to kind of put in proper perspective and relationship to God. But the bad news is there's more work to do. We're going to do deeper digging this this morning, okay? Because there's such a thing as surface idols, the things we've described the last few weeks, career, money, relationships, uh, different things that we've named. But there are also deeper idols that I think animate those idols. In fact, Tim Keller has been a helpful voice during this series who's a pastor in New York City. And Tim Keller wrote a book, if you want to dig in more to the whole idea of idolatry, he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, which has been really helpful to me in my study. But there was a quote in that book that he, he uh, mentioned that I thought was really helpful as, as it, we, we dig deeper into the deeper idols in our lives. He writes, the idolatry structure of the heart is complex. There are deep idols within the heart beneath the more concrete and visible surface idols that we serve. We are often superficial in the analysis of our own idol structures. You see, Tim Keller distinguishes the surface idols, the things we've described the last four weeks, and what I want to dig into more today, which are the deeper idols. These are the animating forces, the the really motivations, the desires that lead us to seek our identity uh, in in, in all these other things that we've mentioned already, in money, in relationships, in in pleasure, in our career. Again, these are more identifiable idols, but it's important for us to dig down even deeper and to see the motivations, the desires that are behind those. So this morning, I want to give you some examples. I want to give you four examples of deep idols that actually lay underneath those. I think it's vital for us to dig up. If you want to use the image, the image of a tree would be a good one for this, right? With any tree, you can see the fruit that comes from branches, and we tend to identify a tree by its branches and by its fruit. Those are the surface idols, but what really is what continues to fuel our idolatry are the root system that you can't see. And so I want to identify what those roots may be. There's four of them. The first I want to mention this morning is power. And I'm going to identify power by this uh, manly crown that I've got here. Uh, Next time maybe we'll use a crown. But anyway, that that does does a picture for you. A tiara, it represents this deep idol of power. And if power is your idol, there's probably a voice that whispers in your ear something like this. Life only has meaning, and I only have worth if I have power, influence, and success. Some of you may be kind of understanding this, or maybe you're thinking, man, I wish somebody was here because they really need to hear this sermon, right? Sometimes we're married to the person who power is really important to. It's easier to see this in others than it is to see this in ourselves. So over these four hours, I really don't want you assessing others. I'd love for you to take a look and say, what is it that's animating? What is it that's behind the idolatry in my life? This is the lust for achievement for success and influence that drives everything we do. And so you got power as one of these. The second of these is the idol of control. And of course, there's no better example in our culture as a remote control. Some of you know who has to have that in your family. That might be an indicator for control being the deep idol uh, that animates you. If this is an idol that you struggle with, a deeper idol, there's probably a voice that whispers in your head that says something like this, life only has meaning and I only have worth If I'm able to get mastery over my life, if I'm able to find control, to be certain of things, um, 
And I think my family would probably point to me on this one. This is one I struggle with. I like to have the remote in my hand. But I've also noticed when things go off course, when schedule's supposed to be this way and it ends up taking a detour, we plan on this restaurant, I get excited about it, and then we change to... Th- those kind of things really disrupt my life. And so if you have this power idol, or if this idol of control, there's a little bit of a distinction from power. It's wanting to, to be certain of things, to have control over things, to have mastery over things. Um, it's really just the illusion of control, though, right? We all understand that. We, none of us are in control of our lives like we want to be. The third uh, deep idol is the idol of approval. You recognize this symbol? Facebook-like symbol, right? Some of you find a lot of your worth in the number of these that you might get on a post or on Instagram, the likes that you get as well. The voice behind the approval idol says this, life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am loved and respected by fill in the blank. It can be a specific person that you're seeking that approval. It can be a group of people. It can be a faceless, nameless crowd that you still are working and and maneuvering to try to get that approval that will fill you up in some way. This is the person who measures their days by how many likes they get on their Facebook post or how many likes on their picture on Instagram. And of course, this idol drives and dictates so much dysfunction in our relationships, doesn't it? Because when you're seeking that approval, it's amazing how we're willing to manipulate and do things to try to get that because we need the approval of others. The fourth idol I don't have anything for. It's the idol of comfort. It was the one I was looking forward to most this morning, right? Some of you who have your recliner that you look forward to, maybe that's it. But, you know, the idol of comfort, the voice in your head, if that's the idol that you're driving toward, is that I only have worth uh, if I have a drink in my hand, a loved one next to me looking out at the ocean on vacation, right? It's somebody who loves an experience of comfort, of peace, of everything being at calm and at comfort. Some of you love those moments. I think we all do to some degree, but for some of us, This becomes a a driving force in our lives to get comfort. And these deep idols, as I said, they're animating forces that drive us to the surface idols in our lives. And these deep idols have deep roots. So you can cut off a branch of one of those surface idols of career, but if really your career is trying to get you approval, then you're going to find approval in other ways. And that's why it's so vital to dig down deep and see what is the force behind it? What is really driving me? What's motivating me? toward the idolatry that's there in my life. Over a year and a half ago, I preached a series called Baggage Claim. It was before we launched a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery. And in that series, I talked about uh, an important concept in Celebrate Recovery. The concept is this. I've been through that recovery process. And what I discovered was big because in church, what we often do is we, we really give people a hard time for the habits that are there in their lives. The church is called those sins. And so what we try to do is get people, get rid of your sin, confess your sin, repent from your sin, and, and, and you'll be forgiven. But don't go back there anymore. And what we don't realize is that those habits are coping mechanisms that really cover and help us soothe the hurts in our lives. And, and, and so if, if all we do as a church is shame people for their habits, what we're not realizing is those habits are the result of hurts that come from places in the past. And so the important work is to dig at those wounds. It's hard work, but to realize what those hurts are so that we can address those. Because as long as we're trying to kind of fix these habits without dealing with the hurt that's behind it, we're going to have a hard time doing it. And I would say the same principle is at work in this sermon this morning. What I'm trying to say is, that's great that you've identified your surface idol, whatever that may be. But if you don't get at the roots, if you don't dig down deep to the deep idol that actually is the motivation behind seeking the other idol, 
you're going to continue to find that in other ways because these idols run deep in our lives and we'll do almost anything to achieve them. And all this talk about trees really leads me back to a passage we spent time in before. If you have your Bibles this morning, open with me to to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3. The story is the story of the fall. It's the story of the serpent and the fruit and Eve and Adam. And, and I want to read this story again. I want you, as, we, as you listen to the story once more, you've heard it before, most of you, read it in light of these deep idols and try to discover what is it that the serpent's trying to get Eve to see and what is it that Eve notices in this story. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You'll certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, what's the serpent doing to Eve? I would suggest that what the serpent is doing with Eve is the same thing that happens when temptation pops up in our lives. Because for Eve, I think the serpent knows what those deep idols are, what those deep needs are. There's some kind of hole in in, in Eve that she needs to have filled, and so she's looking to the fruit to somehow fill that. And I think Satan knows the same thing in our lives when temptation comes. What is the deep need that we have? And he knows how to attack that so carefully. And so as we read that story, I'm wondering, what is the idol that the serpent sees in Eve? Maybe it's, it's power, right? I mean, the serpent says, if you eat this fruit, then you'll be like God. There's a sense of power that comes that maybe the serpent's tapping into. Or maybe it's really more control. If you eat this fruit, you'll have knowledge. You'll be able to tell the difference between good and evil. Maybe there's some kind of control that's caught up in that. I don't know fully what it is, but I want you to notice Eve's response to this whole thing that the serpent does. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Pay close attention to the first part of verse 6. If you have your Bible still open there, if if you want to turn back there on the screen, that'd be helpful. So when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, you see what she's doing? She's not just looking to this fruit for Nutrition, nutrition value, right? I mean, there's all kinds of other trees that would provide that. She's looking for something in this fruit that all the other fruit doesn't seem to offer. So she first sees it's, it, it's good for food, it's nutritious. Then she looks closer and sees it's, it's pleasing to the eye. There's beauty with this fruit that seems unlike the others. Isn't that true with any temptation, right? We get to believing that somehow there's something this has, a quality that the others don't. And then finally, the fruit is desirable for gaining wisdom. It's useful. See, Eve is looking to the fruit to provide much more than nutrition, isn't she? She's trying to find in this fruit something that she's missing. And, and I would submit to you that anytime we're engaged in temptation and, and idolatry, this is the search we're on as well. We're searching to try to meet these deep needs that sometimes we don't dig down and see. She's motivated by more than physical hunger. That's the same way we are. We look to money to provide more than what money can provide, don't we? And it never does. We look to relationships, people to provide more than people can possibly provide. We look to food and drink to provide us more than food and drink can provide. We look to surface idols to provide what our deeper idols demand. I want to show you how this works. One of the biggest idols I didn't get a chance to talk about over the last few weeks in Collin County is the idol of career, the idol of work. 
Um, and work is, of course, a necessary thing. It's a gift that's been given to us by God. One thing we sometimes forget is we think, well, work wasn't there before the fall, but that's not true. God actually puts Adam to work in the garden, and it's seen as a good thing until the consequences of the fall come, and it becomes much harder. And so work is actually this gift for us as long as we keep it within proper restraints, as long as we take Sabbath to remind ourselves that the world goes on turning without our working every single day. God's in control. And and so work can be used for all kinds of things. And, and, And if you're a workaholic, if that's something you struggle with, what I would challenge you to see is it's not just workaholism that's the issue. There's a deep idol that lies beneath that workaholism that's important to see. So I'm imagining a, a young woman who, who grew up, and, and when she was in school, her parents really pushed her really hard in school to get the great grades. And as she did well, what she found from her parents was uh, approval. It was, you know, a report card that came back, and her parents loved that she did well, and so they encouraged her. Nothing really harmless praise in a way. But all of a sudden, as the years went on, she found her identity, her self-worth, her her. her encouragement came from doing well in school. And so she goes to college. She actually gets a scholarship because of how well she's done. And, and what do you know? The professors are the same way. If you get good grades, there's approval to be found. You get that sense of encouragement that comes. Well, she gets that job at the accounting firm. And so she continues on. And all she's known to build her self-worth has been success and everything she's done, trying to give it her best work. And so she continues to work. And what's she working for? She's working for approval. And so when the boss needs someone who's going to work after hours in ways that no one else will, she's the one who always raises her hand because if she continues to work hard, she'll get that deep idol that she's longing for. The problem is you never get to the end of that idol, do you? You just keep working and you keep finding approval and you never get filled up in the ways you hope you will. Or I'm imagining the, the, the young boy who grew up in poverty and, and he, he never really had control of his life growing up. In fact, he was the one who was giving up food to his sisters because there were only so many meals to go around. He wanted to make sure they were being fed. He started working at an early age to try to make sure that he could make better of himself for the next generation for his family that he would have. And sure enough, he worked 60, 80, 90 hours a week getting through college and paying it off himself. There was so much pride that was developed in that. And I understand that because in a sense, when you grow up in a family where you have no control, you do everything you can. Try to develop that control, and work can be a route to that. I want you to see this because work may be the surface idol, but every single one of these can animate that desire to be a workaholic. Same thing's true for power, right? If nothing is good except for the top office, you're going to work, and you're going to work, and you're going to work, and either you're going to find it and be unfulfilled, or you're going to never quite get there because the boss's son takes the job you deserve. Or comfort really is your idol, but... You know, if you work long enough and hard enough, you can build up enough wealth that those retirement years are going to be good, being able to sit back in comfort in the ways you never did in your career. The problem is that debilitating disease comes in an unexpected way, and anger is the response because you finally earned this. You worked so hard, but comfort wasn't on the other side. It's amazing how these idols that we can try to get rid of, if we don't deal with them at a root level, they come back in all kinds of different ways. Same is true for every idol. You can use every one of these idols, the career, the relationships, all these different things we've named, and you can come from a different source. I mean, sexuality, for instance, we can seek through sex to get power over others or or to abuse others through sex. The same way it's true, we can get a sense of control over our lives through sexuality. The same is true for approval. How many young teens right now are seeking approval through giving up more than they really should have to? The same thing is true for comfort. We use sex. You see how 
all of the different idols can be animated, can be motivated from a deeper root source of dysfunction in our lives. And some of you know how to seek all of these idols at once, right? I mean, have any of you ever been in your chair at night and you've got your phone out <laughs> and you've you got your crown on with power, you've got your remote control going, you've got your phone trying to get the like and comfort? I mean, we, we have a way in our culture of being driven by all of these things. Does someone want a picture, by the way? This would be a good... You see what I'm talking about? It's amazing how these root deep idols are things that we will do anything to try to get. The hard part about deep idols is they're all about motivation, aren't they? Jesus understands this. During his entire ministry, he's trying to get people to not just look at the surface of things, but trying to help them clean up their hearts. That It's about mercy, not sacrifice. But the Pharisees keep pointing out the problem with externals. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, quickly to to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. It's a story where the Pharisees are coming to Jesus and they're kind of griping about Jesus' disciples. They're not washing their hands properly like they should. And so so, so Jesus comes and, and the Pharisees have this battle back and forth about them not washing their hands properly. And Jesus doesn't seem all that concerned about external cleanliness. He's concerned about the battleground of the gods. He's concerned about the heart. So listen to what he says in Matthew 15, verse 10, in response to the Pharisees. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Well, disciples never seem to understand Jesus and his riddles and parables, so Peter speaks up, verse 15. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then comes out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. See, Jesus is trying to get these Pharisees to realize this is not about outward rituals. This is not about cleansing yourself on the outside and that's good enough and making sure you're checking everything off the list. No, Jesus is after the heart. What is your heart being moved by? Proverbs 4.23 is an important verse. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. That's a command for us. Guard your hearts. And that's what these idols are really all about, aren't they? about where we find our source of life. It's about where our heart is led away. It's this worship war that's involved in all of our lives. So this morning, I want you to think about what is it that's the idol in your life? Is it the comfort of the chair? Is it the like symbol, the approval? Is it, is it control in your life that maybe is taking on more than it should? Or is it power that you need? So right now, what is it that you need to confess to God? Is that deep? source. And, and for some of us, it's more than one, right? I find in different seasons of my life, it's one over another. But I want you to find that idol, and idols are not easily removed. There is hope. And over the next two weeks, I want to lead us toward a path of repentance, toward a path of bending our hearts again toward God and putting Him on the throne of our lives. But this morning, I just want you to get a sense of this, because it's important to know what that surface idol is, but it's even more important to know what's driving that. What's that deep need in my heart? Where, where, where am I trying to find that? And 
It's amazing how, you know, we, we come to comfort and we think, man, if we could just be comfortable, if God would just come through in this way, then we'd be fulfilled. But what we find out is the only comfort we can have comes from God. The peace that passes all understanding is not something we can secure for ourselves. It comes from God at work in our lives. And approval, right? We can, we can try all day, every day to find approval. But the only approval that matters in the end is God's approval, how he sees us and he loves each and every one of you. Or we go trying to find control in our lives, not realizing that control is only an illusion for us on this side of eternity. But for those who are caught up in Jesus Christ, isn't it easier to lay someone to rest knowing where they are and where they've put their hope? Because it's God who's in control, not any of us. And then power, right? (laughs) Or power such a fleeting elusive thing, and it just seems to corrupt us, doesn't it? But God's the one who's worthy of that power, who has that full power. He is all-powerful. So today I want to to ask us to to come to a time of prayer, a time of repentance. Whatever that idol is right now, I want to ask us to turn that over to God and to find our source and our life in Him once again. He's our deepest need. Let's let's make sure He knows that today. God, we we thank You so much for Your story. Uh, We thank You so much for Uh, the ways that you call us to faithfulness, for the ways that you lead us away from unrighteousness, you call us to an abundant life. And so God, for those this morning that are struggling with this God of comfort, I pray that you you uh, you would forgive them, God, of that, that you would lead us to find our comfort in you and in no other thing. And God, for those of us who are struggling with the idol of approval this this morning, God, would you help us see that our approval is already found in you, God, that you love us, that you've sent your son Jesus on our behalf, God, and you're leading us to walk with others and help them find where their true approval lies, God. So we confess that sin of that need for approval. God, we also, we give up that control in our lives again. That's a hard thing for some of us to do because we grasp onto things, wanting to have so much control, and yet we realize we can't. And the older our kids get, the more we see our grandkids come along, we realize that, God, we have so little control. So God, take control again in our lives, and I pray also, for this God of power, God? Uh, would, you, would you help us dethrone power in our lives to help us see that you're the only one who's worthy of it? God, we thank you so much for Jesus, for forgiveness that's found in your name. This morning, God, as we come to the table of the Lord, we come to your table, we, uh, we find in this meal, this bread, this cup, everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to be a community that's united together for your purposes. So God, we live into this counter story, different from the empires of this world will preach. It's a story where Jesus is Lord and where death is the path toward resurrection. God, we, we want to trust in that more in this season leading up to Easter, God. Uh, we thank you so much uh, for your path, for your goodness, for the abundance you call us to. As the name of Jesus, we eat this meal and share this communion together. Amen.